but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized at uh, Lake Minnetonka. Uh, I hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast for the 29th of October. Here, bringing down all there is in Minnesota sports. How's it going? I'm CJ Baumgartner. We got a football Friday for you here today, and let's start off by talking about something that's truly scary, uh, the Minnesota Vikings in a big-time matchup versus a winning team. No? All right, I'll leave. All right, yeah, no, I mean, this is a big matchup for the Vikings, and it's kind of scary because if they lose this game, their season is... I, here's the thing. I know I have been saying that, like, their season's probably over. Their, these are must-win games. And the truth is, is that they are must-win games because the Vikings dug themselves in an 0-2 hole early in the season where I'll even give you the pass for losing to Cleveland. But losing to Cincinnati when you were when you had chances to win that game, when you were in overtime. Losing to Arizona when you had the field goal chance. So I'm, I'm just going to say that uh, the Vikings need to win this game on Sunday because, again, they have a gauntlet of games. And the more you think about this game, as weird as it is to say, this might be one of your more winnable ones in the six-game stretch, despite the fact that you're playing the Dallas Cowboys, who are, I mean, they only have one loss. They're as hot as any team. They're coming out of the bye weeks. They should be all rested up. Dak Prescott, still not the, uh, still not 100%. I know we, I, I still think he's going to play. We talked about that on the podcast yesterday. Go check uh, yesterday's one out if you want to hear us have that discussion on whether or not Dak is going to play uh, and and why. Uh, but I, I think that Dak is going to play. And more importantly, I think that this is going to be a big-time national game where all the lights are going to be on the Vikings. And in the last few years, and this isn't even a Kirk Cousins thing, this is just a since the magical 2017 season, the Vikings have struggled in primetime. And you know what? Honestly, in 2017, they had that Monday night game where they struggled in primetime. Well, maybe you just say it's more Sam Bradford. Okay, fine. 2017, we throw that one out the window. But 2016, before Kirk Cousins, so this isn't, I'm not even trying to make this a Kirk Cousins going to win a big game on, because that, again, tired and wired. But uh, the, uh, like, it's, it's just not a, one, it's not 100% true. Kirk Cousins just is who he always is. But uh, we'll get to that in a second. But the Vikings in 2016, remember the Monday night game they had? I know they had the, the epic collapse, and how much of that is due to that and just their inability to play in these uh, bright primetime games. But you look at the Vikings on Halloween night a couple of years ago, remember? They got the Monday night game on Halloween night. And it was pretty scary because that offense sure was real bad. Uh, that was scaring a lot of Minnesotans that night because uh, they lost to the Bears that only won like three games that whole year. And they lost to them when they were still considered legitimate, not playoff, but Super Bowl contenders. They looked hapless against them on Monday Night Football. Uh, you, you think of the Thursday night game against the Cowboys at U.S. Bank Stadium. That I know there was the Mike Zimmer eye game, but the Vikings still had a chance to win in that game, and they didn't. You also look at uh, just I, – I think the point is to say that the Vikings aren't chokers in these big game situations, but the Vikings just aren't a team where when the lights are shining. And, and don't forget the Monday night game to begin the year in, 20, in 2015 where they looked completely helpless against the 49ers. 
on the road. And I and this isn't to pick on the Vikings. This isn't to say, oh my gosh, they're they're you know they're they can't win in the big when the lights are on them. But this is to say that the Vikings aren't necessarily clutch in these situations against winning teams and against winning teams in big situations. Now I think you know a lot of it has to do with matchups and and everything in before. Like I I understand that, but I I am a little bit concerned here with the Vikings heading in to this game because of the opponent they're playing. Now Dak might not be 100% healthy if he does play. Still think he does, and even then. Uh, I still, you know, the Vikings against the backup quarterback never has been a sure bet either. But I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I'm, I'm ragging on the Vikings too much here because the one thing I do want to point out with Minnesota outside of that, you know, it, they've been a little bit shaky in these Monday, in not just uh, in these prime time games. But another, uh, another thing, by the way, is that, uh, and this is a phenomenon I noticed here with the Vikings, is Kirk Cousins actually getting respect from the national media yeah that same national media that has spent three years just dogging him now all of a sudden they turn around and go Kirk Cousins is underrated Kirk Cousins is underappreciated like yeah I wonder who's been the national media that's been driving that charge for two years that Kirk Cousins was overpaid and the Vikings were stuck with him now again I'm not the biggest Kirk Cousins fan I I you know, I don't think the Vikings should re-sign Kirk Cousins. I really think they need to get a new quarterback. I think his tenure has had some successes, but it has, for the most part, been a failure, and that's not all his fault. But at the same time, uh, he still was expected to be better. They just they just weren't. Uh, but, I mean, when you look at Kirk Cousins, he's starting to get the respect of him nationally. You see, and at least in the Twitterverse, he's getting steam of, of, oh my gosh, look at all the stats. Is Kirk Cousins, you know, every year about this time, Kirk Cousins plays hot for a month, and the media likes to go, sneaky MVP candidate, Kirk Cousins over there. Look at Kirk Cousins. He's an MVP candidate. Guys, we like Kirk Cousins now. And then he has one bad game in primetime, which watch what happens if Kirk Cousins doesn't play that well. The national media will flip on a dime because the national media do not care about your favorite franchise unless you are the Cowboys, in which case they try and harvest your uh, – your fan interest for clicks. But all I'm saying is Kirk Cousins has got a newfound interest in national media, and he has been playing well. I mean, you look at his season today. You you look at the you look at Kirk Cousins' stats so far this season, and especially when he has a clean pocket, he's just been able to dice up defenses. But, I mean, at the same time, you know, he, he's had a bit of his uh, – He's had a bit of his issues, but when you look at the stats he's uh, had this season as they uh, pull up, he's 13 touchdown passes, two interceptions, and racking up over 1,700 yards in just six games. So that he's averaging about, you know, a half a pick a game, and he's averaging about two touchdown passes a game. That's pretty darn good. And, you know, you've had guys like Richard Sherman come out there and say, Kirk Cousins is one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the league. You have other guys come out there and say, yeah, Kirk Cousins is a guy that can sling it. We've got a lot of respect for Kirk Cousins. And, like, Kirk Cousins has earned this, by the way. He has earned the national media being able to give him some plaudits. Now, maybe it's because it's a Sunday night game this week, so they're trying to draw up some hype. Uh, the league is nationally for this game on Sunday night which should still be a good game because whenever the Dallas Cowboys and the Vikings play, the games aren't always good. Like They're not like great football games, but they're always entertaining. When the Vikings play the Cowboys, the games are rarely a blowout. They always go down to the wire. And so we'll see what happens on Sunday. I think either way it's going to be a close affair. But 
again, Kirk Cousins getting this national media recognition is a bit strange considering that it's the same national media that's willing to drag him at every first opportunity. But, I mean, Kirk Cousins has earned this media stretch, uh, this kind of good PR stretch, and it's, he gets about one a year. And the difference this season is that he just, I mean, is that usually it's Kirk Cousins has played well, but his teams have lost, and they have, you know, lost because of in spite of a boneheaded play he makes. The Vikings are 3-3. Three and three. Kirk Cousins is putting up monster numbers, but it's not in spite of Kirk Cousins' performance. Kirk Cousins is keeping the Vikings in certain games. Kirk Cousins, you know, outside of the Cleveland loss, you look at Arizona. Kirk Cousins kept the Vikings in that game. You look at the Bengals game, Kirk Cousins put the Vikings back in that game. And, I, I mean, he's he's earned that. And I think it's just, you just got to watch with what the national sports mean. And this is the, the media kind of thing. But it's, you just have to understand how the business works and understand that this is just what their angle is. This is what they're trying to do. And you don't have to get mad. You don't have to, you know, be angry about it. You just have to understand, okay, here's what they're trying to do here. Just kind of understand the baseline level of what the national sports media wants with this Kirk Cousins hype. But it's been interesting. He has been getting looked at nationally. Uh, by this and I think it's a little bit different this year again because of those reasons before and it's also different just I mean because the Vikings are three and three is in a bad spot in an NFC this year that's pretty wide open they're still very much alive despite you know the flaws that the Vikings have on this team and I think with Kirk Cousins getting all this national recognition I think it's going to make things I, I think it's going to make things a bit more interesting the rest of the way, especially if the Vikings uh, get down towards the end of the season. And is this Kirk Cousins? I mean, I just want to watch how this dynamic plays out because it's very interesting. Is this same Kirk Cousins love going to be there when the Vikings finish 7-10 and 10 at the end of the season and just miss the playoffs? Is this going to be the thing when the Vikings are looking to get rid of Kirk Cousins, which, I mean, honestly, based on how the giddy they were trying to get rid of him last season, or how much interest there was for a guy that still had two years left on his contract and like $75 million to go, uh, they were pretty interested in getting rid of him. So it's going to be interesting to see how that situation plays out over the course of this season. But again, it's been an interesting dynamic watching Kirk Cousins in this. And But he is, again, he's gotten some praise from the national media for how well he's been playing, and he's earned that. And now we're going to see if they can win against a Cowboy team that's going to be entertaining. And we're going to see what's going to happen because Dak is going to be one to watch right before the game. And even during the game, how healthy is he? And Michael Pierce, by the way, isn't going to play, which we all could have saw coming. He hasn't really practiced this week. You've kind of when the, the Vikings have just been very quiet on him. So he's not going to play again this week. Who knows if he'll play again next week. Spielman, of course, said that he was going to play after the bye, which... You almost kind of knew. With the Vikings and injuries, take what they say with a grain of salt. Like, take what the coaches and what the team says with a grain of salt because they are, I mean, they're the team. They're going to try They're going to try and shield themselves from controversy. They're going to try and shield themselves from unwanted attention. And that would be your starting nose tackle being hurt in a game where the Dallas Cowboys have two running backs that can gash you, not having your best three technique or your best nose tackle, I should say, is not going to help you in that regard, and especially in a game where Dak Prescott is going to be hurt. So, yeah, they'll try and pass. They're not going to necessarily 
limit him in a sense of like it's he's just going to stand there and hand the ball off but that being said they are going to probably reduce his workload and especially against the Vikings team that you know you can run on why not just hand the ball off more and go in that direction but now he does give the opportunity you know that is why the Vikings have Sheldon Richardson that is why the Vikings have uh, Dalvin Tomlinson. The Vikings got some of these guys to be able to plug up holes if Michael Pierce got hurt. You have a Sheldon Richardson you can throw in that situation. And the Vikings, you know, they brought in Richardson, they brought in Tomlinson, they brought in these guys to try and beef up that defensive line. And they have a good opportunity to prove that uh, this is why they came in here and that they were right to bring him in and, and that they can stop him. And Michael Pierce is a good player. But you know what? These guys can fill in the gap. And especially with Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin playing well, they're going to have to, on the edge, get pressure on Prescott. But the biggest thing is going to be the running game, and you're going to need to see guys like Anthony Barr step up to try and fill up those run-blocking holes, or those run uh, run gaps, I should say. And you have Eric Kendricks, who will anyways. He'll clog all that up. But especially with how – it's kind of a weird situation because the Cowboys ideally would probably just like to sling it around the field – but it might actually, the, the injury to Dak, if he does play, which I think he will, might be actually, a. I mean, they're still better with Dak Prescott in the lineup, but it might give him a little bit of overconfidence to say, okay, either we're going to try and run the ball a lot, which means, okay, well, now CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, these good wide receivers, they're not going to have as big of an impact, especially against the Vikings' banged-up secondary, so that might give the Vikings a chance. And guys like Dantzler are really good in the run game when they're on the field. They're really good at running up and making tackles. So maybe that's an advantage towards the Vikings in that situation. And it's also an advantage because maybe Dak Prescott just doesn't have, you know, again, he uh, hurt, He has a calf strain. So how is that going to affect him running? Is he going to be as mobile? Is that going to allow the Vikings to kind of try to pin him in the pocket more and allow Hunter and Griffin to not have to try and chase him around the field, but instead just try and trap him in the pocket? Or is it going to set up with uh, the Vikings secondary that now it sets up with the passing game that Dak Prescott can't really throw it as good. He's just not as confident throwing the ball. Maybe they won't take as many deep shots. Maybe they'll try and do the death by paper cuts thing, and the Vikings are just going to have to make the tackles right in front of them. Again, Dak Prescott is a big key in this figure, but him being hurt might, I mean, it's going to, like, obviously Dak Prescott not being at 100% is going to be an advantage to the Vikings, and you don't want to see anybody injured, but it's going to be an advantage, and I think that they can use that as to say, okay, he's limited right now, and his limitations are able to cover up our limitations on defense, because without Dak being able to fully sling the ball and run all over the field, it really is going to benefit our corners, because one, they're going to not have as many, uh, you know, better thrown balls to cover around, and two, it gives the Vikings pass rushers more time to uh, sit there and, uh, try and get a sack with a less mobile Dak Prescott. I think the Cowboys still win this game, but I think it's going to be close. Uh, if Dak Prescott doesn't play, the Vikings should win this game. I, I know I talk about the Vikings' struggles with a backup quarterback. That doesn't mean I'm gonna, it's going to be easy, but the Vikings should win this game, especially if they want to be considered in that playoff contenders in the NFC. So that's what I think is going to be this game. I think if Dak Prescott plays, which I think he will, 34-31, Cowboys win. If Dak Prescott doesn't play, I say 24-31 Vikings win. So we'll see what happens on Sunday. And let's take a second here and let's also talk about the Minnesota Gophers who are getting ready to play Northwestern this week. And I think the biggest part of this game plan is, again, we've been talking about 
all season with the Vikings. We say Zimmer be more aggressive and, you know, trust your passing game more. And I think that's the message with P.J. Fleck, too, in a bit of a different light. Now, Tanner Morgan isn't the Kirk Cousins level, even compared collegiately. Tanner Morgan just isn't a stretch-the-field passer. He's more of a West Coast, you know, likes to throw the slant, likes to throw the seam routes, likes to throw the quick ones. But at the same time, open up your passing game more for that because when you do, you just set your offense up to more capabilities. And maybe the thought is, well, Northwestern's 3-4. and four. Let's try and run the ball, control the clock. Let's take it to them. Let's, you know, impose our will, all that kind of stuff, which is important. But when they know that you're going to run it on three straight plays, how beneficial is that for your running game? And this has been the point all season, is Minnesota should be 6-1 and one right now if they trust Tanner Morgan. That loss to Bowling Green falls squarely on the shoulders of P.J. Fleck for having too much of a vanilla game plan, treating his quarterback, treating his redshirt senior quarterback, I believe, uh, like he is just a like he's just a high school quarterback who's a sophomore getting thrown into the playoffs for his first start. I mean, there's not a lot of trust there, or at least not a lot of, I shouldn't say, there's not a lot of faith that he can do, uh, there's not a lot of faith in his abilities. There's a lot of trust that he can run the offense, but not a lot of trust that he can be a good passer. And not, Tanner Morgan doesn't need to be a great passer. He just needs to be able to complete a couple passes and be aggressive. It's kind of that, and it's weird that I'm longing, for, uh, not longing, but it's weird that like, I'm about to say, you know, kind of the Jerry Kill dink and dunk, some things with Mitch Leidner that we got annoyed about. Now, granted, that's because Mitch Leidner couldn't really throw a football, but Tanner Morgan can throw a football way better than Mitch Leidner. So why don't you do more things like if you're going to have Irving run the ball a bunch, then why not set up the heavy play action to Ottman Bell or something? I, I don't know. Again, I'm not an offensive. I'm not pretending to be a Joe Brady offensive genius here. But I, I think that there is potential for the or for the Gophers rather to use the passing game to their advantage, and I understand why they're going to lean more on the running game because they don't want to give they don't want interceptions they don't want bad throws they don't want you know incomplete passes to take away from the time of possession and I, I get all of that I'm not saying you need to abandon the run you still need to lean heavily onto the run that's just how your offense is built but Tanner Morgan is not meant to be a quarterback that only throws 100 yards a game, and it only has 12 passing attempts. I'm sorry, that's just not going to be successful. You need to trust your quarterback to pass it more, because you'll slide by on the Northwesterns, you'll slide by on the Maryland's, you'll sl I mean, they, they beat Maryland pretty good, but the point is, you'll get by, you will get by and get wins with Maryland, you'll get by and get wins against Nebraska, you'll get by and get wins against Northwestern, but when you play the Ohio States, but when you play the Iowas, and when you play the Wisconsin's, to get these big 10 wins, these big, big 10 West wins, when you need to get those, you're going to need to at least have a quarterback that can make some plays because you want to know why that's going to separate yourself from Iowa and Wisconsin, two teams of which, like the Gophers, have great teams around them, but are one really good quarterback away from being something special. So I think, and the Gophers have a quarterback who has a lot of experience. They have a guy who's been able to make some throws. I, I just don't know why they don't trust him more because this Northwestern team when you look at uh, when you look at Northwestern's uh, kind of stats here throughout the season, when you look at uh, when you look at some of their games earlier, I mean they're just they are a team that is uh, they their quarterback Ryan Hildsky can throw it around a little bit. I know uh, their most recent matchup against Northwestern, he had a couple uh, he had a couple touchdowns. Their rushing game again, they're like the Gophers; they more want to go with a couple guys more than anything. They have. Uh, they have in the rushing game 
uh, Andrew Clare and Evan Hull. Those guys got a majority of the carries last time against, uh, again, in their matchup against Rutgers back towards the middle of October. Northwestern is uh, coming off a 33-7 loss against Michigan. And in that matchup, Hilinski only threw for 114 yards. So it's kind of, you're playing a team that is very similar to you in the sense of they want to run the ball. They don't really want to put their quarterback in too many positions to have to go out and just straight up win the game. But this is your opportunity to take it to Northwestern and to, and to get a win. I mean, it's going to be a, t again, this should be a game you should win. I'm not saying blow them out, but this should be a game where the Gophers should be expected to win by more than 10 points. And they're going to need this because that schedule the more that they, uh, the more that the season goes on, the tougher it's going to get. Because remember who the Gophers play next week, and that's or not next week, but two weeks from now, and that's that big matchup in Iowa City against the Hawkeyes. All right, let's take a look now against, or uh, let's take a look now with our other Minnesota sports teams now on our Football Friday. That about uh, wraps it up. The Wild last night played a really bad game. Like a really bad game. They jumped out to a one-goal lead uh, last night. Again, their first-ever matchup with the Seattle Kraken. And then they proceeded to give up four straight goals. And one was an empty netter, so it was technically one to three. But you still gave up a goal in the first period. You still gave up a goal in the second and a goal in the third. And you just let them beat you. I, I mean, I don't know. This was one that the Wild should win. The Kraken, this isn't the 2018 Vegas Golden Knights. This is the... Seattle Kraken, who are kind of setting the trend that uh, teams that are re uh, relo uh, not relocating, but uh, expansion teams, rather, are ones that are not going to come in and be successful right away. You had Talbot in net. He had two goals given up against him. But when you look at uh, this Wild team, I know that they were a little uh, banged up. They necessarily didn't have uh, everything going uh, in the way that they wanted to. But at the same time, this is still... This is still not an excuse. I mean, this is a, a Kraken team that has, what, they have Carson Soucy on the team who I don't think uh, played yesterday in the matchup. They also have Ryan Donato. So if you ever remember Ryan Donato, uh, you know, old wild player a couple of years ago, I believe, was in the, uh, was he in the, uh, he was traded, Charlie Coyle, I think was the trade. That might have been the one. That or Eric Stahl is where they got him back, but uh Anyway, the Wild end up losing this game. They're now 5-2 and two on the season. That was a big one. I mean, seriously, Seattle is 3-4-1. They are not a great team this season. You should have went in there and won. Now, I know it's your first matchup. I know Seattle, you know, there's still a lot of energy, even though the team is kind of meh. But at the same time, this is one that the Wild should have won. You're on the West Coast. Keep the winning ways going. You had a great win in Vancouver, and then you follow it up with, uh, with a day like that. I know that you had Zuccarello. I know that you had Pitlick go in the COVID-19 protocols, but I don't care. Seattle's a team that you should just go in and win. And that's one of those things where, you know, it's, again, the Nashville game you also should have won. Everything's a woulda, coulda, shoulda. You actually have to play the games. And it's a long season, so I'm not trying to say that your season is, I'm not trying to say any big sweeping things. All I'm saying is that's just one the Wild should have had. That's one when you, they look back at the end of the season, they're going to go, you know, I wish we could have had that one. But how is it going to impact the Wild now that Zuccarillo and Petlick are in the COVID-19 protocol? Because Petlick was a guy who, again, was a University of Minnesota graduate, and he got claimed off waivers from Nashville. He was a guy that the Wild thought maybe could make some plays kind of in the fourth line and all that kind of stuff. Zuccarillo was a guy on the first line. Zuccarillo is Minnesota's leading scorer. He has seven points on the year. Um, 
and Pitlick got in on the action with his first assist last week, or, or last uh, game on Tuesday in the win in Vancouver. The Wild, they don't really, they didn't really recall the big enforcements. They called up Connor Dewar and Kyle Rao, uh, and defenseman uh, John Lazat from Iowa. But at the same time, uh, they had to cancel practice. So is this just one that you? Ch I know that this is one that maybe you chalk up to, you know, the Wild and should have won the game. They should have, uh, you know, they should have came out and played better. But they did have a lot of stuff going on right before the game. And it kind of really impacted how they were able to prepare. They couldn't really get on a skate. They had to test. They had to do the protocols uh, and everything like that. Zuccarello and Petlick enter the COVID protocols. It's not 100% sure when they are supposed to be back. But Wild General Manager Bill Gurren said before the season that the team was 100% vaccinated. I'm not sure what the protocols are like for a guy that gets COVID and is vaccinated. I don't know if it's just you kind of have to wait out until you don't experience symptoms. I don't know if it's like four days. Uh, but looking at the Wild's next game here, uh, they have a uh, turnaround here. They play the Avalanche tomorrow in Colorado. And I know the Avalanche haven't been having the season that they uh, – they haven't been having the start to the season that they were envisioning. They uh, – the Avalanche, rather, uh, started the season – with a uh, with a three and four record now they just beat the blues uh, last night so maybe they're starting to figure things out which we all expect that the abs will turn things around you're going on the road to Denver this is a play a team that the wild played a lot last season so there's a lot of familiarity with the abs it'll be interesting to see also Darcy Kemper now you played with Arizona last year so they still saw plenty of him but Darcy Kemper going to be in net for the abs tonight as or tomorrow night as well. So there's another wrinkle in that rivalry. But this is going to be an interesting test. Now your team has a couple days to rebound. The Wild have shown that they're a good rebounding team in terms of bouncing back from a little bit of adversity. So we'll see. They're 5-2. We'll see now that they play the Avs tomorrow in Colorado how well they can bounce back after a bad loss against Seattle. And, of course, just having the whole COVID wrench thrown in everything. And then you come back on Tuesday. You have a couple days to figure that out. And then you play... Ottawa on your home ice and then you kind of have a nice little home stretch I believe if you're Minnesota because you have Ottawa at home then you uh, no, you go on the road to play the Penguins on Saturday and then come back on a back-to-back -to, -back to play the Islanders so it's not 100% favorable but you get that nice little middle you know they don't really play a lot in the middle of next week and end of next week to where they can really uh, you know if they really are missing Zuccarillo and Pitlick they have a chance to kind of get them back or at least get themselves kind of sorted out even if the next couple games don't necessarily go their way but the Wild need to keep riding this early season hot stretch and at least use it to cement themselves in that upper echelon of central division teams here early in the season all right well now and we talked yesterday on the podcast about the Minnesota Timberwolves and the hot start that they've had, they are going to continue their stretch this weekend. The T-Wolves are going uh, to play Denver at home, so a real Colorado-themed uh, weekend here. They're also playing them tomorrow, but that one, of course, because uh, the Nuggets and the Avs share the same arena, that one's going to be played in Minneapolis, and that one also has an 8 p.m. tip-off. As well, this will be a good test for the Timberwolves. They just had a big emotional comeback, or not to comeback, but bounce back win against Milwaukee on the road. They come back home. Should be a good environment at the Target Center, by the way. Uh, 
You know, the uh, the Wild aren't in town. The Timberwolves had a big win, maybe some buzz at the Target Center uh, with the Timberwolves. Everybody kind of starting to feel them a little bit. We'll see if the Wolves can come against a team in uh, Denver that is expected to be kind of in that running in the Western Conference. Now, the Nuggets this season are 2-2, two and two, so it's kind of a little bit of a so-so start, but they still are a very talented team over there in Denver. It'll be another good test to see how the or the Wolves can do. They, you know, they had the loss. They were able to come back, beat a really good team. Now can they keep that momentum, or can they avoid doing what they've done in the past couple of years, which has got way too high on themselves, and then get knocked down a peg or two? So it'll be interesting to see if there's more of that level-headedness from the Timberwolves and see if Chris Finch can kind of implement that for his team as well. Well, all right, that's going to do it for us here on the Minnesota Sports Podcast for today, this has been a Football Fridays. We started the show talking about the football teams, and we also talked a little bit about some Wolves and some Wild, and we're going to talk a lot more about the Vikings with Stock Up, Stock Down on Monday. We'll see you then. You're listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.